What they don't tell us is there's a path around the biases. And what that path is, is the non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. It's recognizing the reality, not the narrative. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Jonathan Dio. Today, we're talking about money more generally. We're talking about your money. We're talking about how to not panic when it looks like the world is on fire. How to not freak out, how to not, in principle, how to not necessarily lose money during down times. You'll see what I mean by that once we get into it, once we start talking about what it's like, how it feels, what to do uh, when it looks like the world may be on fire. You'll understand what I mean, just hang on and listen to our interview with Jonathan Dio when we talk about mindful money, money and mindfulness. You know, this was, this would have been good lessons for, for many folks, a very good lesson for many folks to hear a year ago as, uh, you know, the markets were unfolding. But, you know, one thing we can be sure about is that a recession will come again. There will always be tough times in the future, but we're talking about how to get through those tough times with those, uh, with some strategies today from Jonathan Dio from Mindful Money. You'll see what I mean. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy multifamily property with passive investors and split the return. I like mindfulness. And I think Jonathan is going to bring you, I know Jonathan is going to bring you a lot of wisdom and investing wisdom, life wisdom uh, today in this discussion about, this is a label that I'm putting on it. He didn't say this necessarily, but this is my interpretation of what we're saying. How to not panic, how to remain steady when it looks like the financial world is not going to be steady is not going to necessarily it doesn't look like it's going to have the brightest future well we're talking about how to reframe that in your mind and how to uh not freak out how to remain mindful thank you for tuning in without any further ado here we go with jonathan dio jonathan thank you for joining us today glad to be here taylor Great talking with you. We've been talking for almost a half an hour now before we hit the record button. That's one of my favorite parts of uh, doing this show. Figured we had to get going here. Uh, for the listeners, if you would, can you tell us a bit about you know, yourself, your business, and your thesis? We've been talking about this for a little while here, and I think it's uh, really interesting. So, you know, as, you, as my name is Jonathan Dio, I've, I've been a financial advisor for about 25 years. Um, I think that the thing that I bring to the table that's interesting is a mix of a background in philosophy, psychology, and specifically Buddhist phenomenology. So a uh, 25-year meditation practice alongside 25 years in the financial planning space. So what that means is, and this is the, this is the general thesis, um, coming out of 2008, 2009, I started, I started thinking, you know, and it was suggested to me by, a, by an author that I should be writing a book about this, um, that our patient faith in the future actually pays a huge dividend, both in terms of financial outcomes and in terms of happiness outcomes. And so I put this book together, it's called Mindful Money, um, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness Dividend. 
And the, the, the central thesis of this idea is being mindful of our limitations, being mindful of our brain's tendency to be biased towards certain outcomes or fear certain outcomes. Uh, you know, the brain is a, is a marvelous tool. It's also, it leads us astray a lot of times and our culture doesn't help that. Um, so the idea is being mindful can actually produce both better financial outcomes and actually produce a happier life. Nice. I like that. And you know, mindfulness had a bit of a, uh, maybe renaissance is the wrong word, but uh, it was brought to the forefront, I think, of the modern consciousness over the last uh, couple of years. You know, um, meditation became, say, relatively popular uh, there for a little while. And I think it, I think it still is. Um, but in the sense of, you know, investing and managing your money, what does it really mean? I mean, well, a lot of people, I think, know what meditation is, at least, you know, theoretically, but, you know, mindfulness for investing and managing your money. Mindfulness, let's define mindfulness. Mindfulness is a non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. It is, it's the recognition of the reality before we apply the narratives, okay? So long ago, there was this belief in the foundation of economics that, became the foundation of modern investing. And the belief was that men and women are rational animals. So in the last 15 years, maybe 20 years, there's been a couple um, Nobel prizes awarded uh, for this thing called behavioral finance. No one thinks anymore that man is a rational animal, but the behavioralists tell us that you are just subject to these biases. What they don't tell us is there's a path around the biases. And what that path is, is the non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. It's recognizing the reality, not the narrative. The thing, and we talked about this beforehand, the thing that drives people to sell a per perfectly diversified portfolio when COVID hits and it terrifies them and the story is in something that can't be contained, that won't be contained, that will lead to you know, millions of deaths and the story, that story overwhelms the reality and we lose touch with our belief in the future. And so you have a choice between fear and faith. Mindfulness allows you a doorway to that belief, uh, just, just a glimpse, something you can hold on to, to let you hold on to that belief. You know what? I have a plan in place. My portfolio is diversified enough. I know that some things are going to get hurt by this. Other things will benefit by this. Uh, benefit from this. So I'm going to hold on to the diversification. I'll rebalance at some point. And at that point, you know, maybe stocks go down, you know, March this year, I had my bonds went up. So I rebalanced, you know, I sold some of my bonds and I bought some stocks. I'm not guessing where the market's going. I'm just responding to how the world is acting. And I'm, I'm doing that because my plan says that that's what I should do. Not because I have foresight, not because I'm prognosticating, because I believe. And my mindfulness allows me to believe when everyone else is losing their minds. Nice. I think the it's hard to to put it for for want of a better way to phrase this. It's hard to not lose your mind though when everybody else is right. We're sitting here in early 2021 when who knows whether the the worst of the economic impact of COVID is behind us or ahead of us. But we remember what happened last year, at least to say the stock market, you know, before things kind of rebounded. And um, we have the benefit of hindsight in that case, but in, in, in situ, right? Where, how do you, how do you maintain that mentality when 
it looks like, hey, these supply chains are going to be disrupted. The experts are telling, just to go with the current example, the experts are telling us we're going to be out of masks. We don't have enough antibiotics to deal with this. The hospitals are going to be full. How do you not get caught up in in all of that and panic? I mean, it's it seems like it's, forgive me if this, this sounds, uh, I don't know, rude or something, but it sounds easier said than done. So there's, there, there, I, there's two things going on. The, f- the first thing is I can't take away the emotions. The emotions are real, right? And, and there is definitely real fear. The question is, you know, what do we do with that? And maybe the, the gut reaction is the first reaction we have isn't the right reaction. Maybe we should question that. And so how do we do that? What is the daily practice? Well, there's two things. One, you've got to know some history. And this is something, we, you know, we lose in our culture. I mean, actually, this is probably global. I, I'm not sure about this, but we don't pay attention to the fact. And in fact, if you didn't read an article in a Yahoo headline uh, or, a, or a Google search that you did about COVID, you wouldn't have remembered that 100 years ago, we went through a pandemic, Right. So you wouldn't know that you could draw some parallels. And was it different? Yes. But is it, it's always different in the details. When you zoom out from every correction we've ever had, there's a, there's a very sharp sell-off. There's a very slow, grinding, painful climb out. Whether it's a presidential assassination, whether it's, a, whether it's COVID, whether it's a recession, whether it's the dot-com boom bust, whether it's the real estate, whether it's you know, 72, 73, whether it's, whether it's you know, early 80s. All of these things appear the same when you look at history. Now, in the moment, like you're saying, in the moment, you're going to have headlines come across. The headlines are going to be terrifying. So how do you boost, how do you boost your own belief in the future in that moment? Two things. First, we've got to recognize that history, when you look at history, we've overcome. Like we have actually overcome a lot of very difficult scenarios. And the narrative that's applied to many things, that how bad it is, it's so, so much worse today than it was last year. It's so much worse, you know income inequality, not all those narratives are, are, are true. Um, most of those narratives are driven by somebody trying to sell something, whether it's their own opinion or a political position, or so you can't just believe all the narratives. You have to actually look at history and look at, look at these things. For me personally, there's two other things I do. Uh, the first thing is every single day when I wake up, I meditate. And when you meditate 10 minutes a day, and there's research on this, you can, you can look up and Google the research and find this. When you meditate 10 minutes a day, you do something physically to your brain. Everyone knows that we have this amygdala. The amygdala actually has a fight or flight response. When you meditate, you decrease the size of your, your amygdala. At the same, the, the actual gray matter, the mass decreases with a meditation practice. What that means is you have your fight or flight response is reduced. At the same time, your frontal cortex, the part that you know, makes good decisions is increased. The mass of your frontal cortex is increased by meditation. So meditating 10 minutes a day, focusing on your breath, focusing on a candle, focusing on a, a, st- a spot on the wall, focusing on the feelings in your body, focusing on sounds, whatever your focus, focal point is, doing that 10 minutes a day gives you a practice of improving your brain structure. It also makes you aware that your brain just throws crap up all the time. Like you're, you have no control of the thoughts that come into your head. And if you recognize that, then when hell happens, you can say, where's this thought coming from? Is this real? Is this something that I should question? Is my emotional response something that is a reaction or am I being proactive on my plan? And just as a rule, 
if you start with education, hist- you know, on history and economics, and you have a financial plan, follow the plan, stick to the plan. It, you know, ignore that crap, stick to the plan, and you will almost always be okay. Nice. I mean, I personally, I like Headspace a bit uh, or quite a bit. Um, I've had, you know, on and off periods with it, but I, I do actually like using that app. Um, and I think now, especially, you know, we have a great, as a, I'm not a big fan of the word privilege, but we have a, a great privilege in that we live at a time where there's a lot of uh, access to the apps for mindfulness to teach you what it's like now. Um, now you've been doing it since before, you know, apps were a thing. Uh, do you have a particular, you know, strategy or, um, you know, a strategic recommendation that you give to your clients to, you know, get them on board with, uh, with meditation? I mean, that's, that's great. The only real tool that I've ever introduced is so first just sit down. And I, I had the hardest time when I first started meditating. I was a student. I was in a, I was in the Buddhist, the Buddhist program at the um, graduate theological union in Berkeley. And I was, I was going to be a, um, I was going to be a, a, a Lutheran minister. I shifted gears to be a Buddhist academic. And so I study a lot of Buddhism, a lot of, so it's it just, and in that shift, I started meditating and it was so hard. I couldn't sit still. And my teachers would give me here, try this practice, try that practice, try this practice. And I hated them all. They all sucked. They were all terrible. I couldn't sit still. My brain was going crazy all the time. Never slowed down. Never was quiet. Never. I never got to this point of, oh, this feels nice ever. And one of my teachers said, you know what, Jonathan, just sit down for a minute. Don't do 10 minutes. Just do a minute. So the first thing is just take off a small bite, a small bite, do a minute, 90 seconds, something simple. Second thing is, this is what I recommend today is, is uh, you said headspace. That's fine. Calm. Fine. I use insight timer because I like the teachers. I like having a choice of all the different teachers and I can find, you know, I can find serious Buddhist monks. that are doing trainings and teachings on there. And that's my, I, my flavor is Tibetan Buddhism. So I, I, I choose that as what I follow and I, and I love it and I eat it up. And so there's a couple, there's a couple of teachers on there that I really love to follow, but yeah, insight timer gives you choices and something that works for you. The main thing is just sit, just sit, take a minute. Try it for 60 seconds and then 90 seconds and your mind won't quiet down. The point isn't to have a quiet mind. The point is to notice that your mind is crazy. That's the point. Not the, not the quiet it, notice it's crazy. That is definitely one of the biggest misconceptions. I'm certainly not an expert in this topic, but one of the biggest misconceptions that, you know, I found that is out there about meditation that you're supposed to quiet your mind and, and no, the whole point is to recognize how unquiet your mind is and just be cool with it. At least if I'm right, be cool with it. <laughs> well, that's that's great. I mean, I didn't personally. I didn't care for calm. I didn't like the music. I found it very distracting. But you know, it's a personal preference thing. I, you know, I like Andy's voice. I guess on, on Headspace. But so translating this to you know an investment strategy, you know, and and plotting that out, you know, what does that mean for you and your business uh, and your clients? Well, so one of the things about mindfulness and, and knowing the way things are, you know, it's, it's recognizing the reality. Okay. There's a, there's a enormous and ever increasing volume of academic research on, on how investing works. And we talked a little earlier about, you know, individual stock picking, cause it's fun and exciting. And there's, you know, there's new apps that let you do it and there's no, no fee. And it's all, it's, you know, that, that's all great. That actually doesn't work. The academic research tells us that people fail at that and hurt themselves. So part of the mindfulness process is understanding what is, what works. And recognizing that, you know what, we actually do know. 
we actually do know that there are three very basic things that when you mix these three things together, they work. And so your process, if you have a long-term planning-oriented process, the actual investment piece of that process is wicked simple. You know, your plan will tell you how much risk you should be taking. So a plan appropriate asset allocation. Um, second thing is broad diversification. Don't pick one thing or one index even. S&P 500 is not diversified. Like there's 500 companies, but they all move in roughly the same way. So you need to have some international, you need to have some really small companies, you need to have some emerging companies, maybe even some private equity kind of stuff. There's, a, there's all kinds of other things to invest in. Invest in all of that stuff. Real estate, also another thing. And then third thing is rebalance. Rebalancing is so beautiful because you're not guessing what happens next. What you're saying is something just happened that made this thing more valuable than this other thing. I know that these things cycle. Therefore, I'm going to sell the thing that's up. I'm going to buy the thing that's down. No brain work involved there. You trust the process. You trust the process that humans are going to blow this thing out of proportion, Tesla, and someone's going to, you know, devalue GM, you know, and then that, in that circumstance, you're going to sell a little bit of Tesla. You're going to buy a little GM. That's great. That's fantastic. Over a long period of time that works. So plan appropriate asset allocation, broad diversification, regular rebalancing. Those are the tools. You don't have to pay attention to the economic news. You don't have to pay attention to market news. You do those three things. That's it. It's really, really simple. Um, and then when something happens, when COVID happens, then you look at some opportunities. You start thinking, okay, what can I do with this? Well, you can refinance stuff, right? Every time there's, a, every time there's some sort of calamity, rates go to zero or rates go down. Um, zero recently, but historically they've gone down a lot. It gives you a chance to change your cost of capital. You maybe do a Roth conversion, reduce your taxes long-term. You may do some tax loss harvesting, also reduce your taxes long-term. You may do an opportunistic rebalance, not... Uh, calendar rebalance, maybe an opportunistic rebalance. So there's there's things you do when things fall apart. There's also things you do when things are exciting. But generally, those three things are the core. And that's mindfully sticking to those, not getting sucked into the excitement or the depression of the day, because that excitement of depression constantly cycles. It changes every day because the media is supposed to, their job isn't to inform you. Their job is to keep you riveted. So the sensationalism occurs because that's their job. Recognize that. That's another thing you can be mindful of. Focus on the plan. Stick to those three disciplines. Everything else is going to be fine. Nice. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is if you uh, recommend that people get off of Facebook, for example, because that to me, that seems to be the biggest, I don't know, if you will, cesspool. I have a Facebook, but it seems to be where a lot of um, these these unnecessary stressors come from, particularly in, for my observation, you know, middle-aged working professionals that get into political arguments on Facebook that are unnecessary. The political argument is a special argument. I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I've done this for 20, I've done, you know, financial services for 25 years and I have never seen it so polarized. And I know that there's all kinds of statistics that support that, but in my daily experience, the number of people that are unfriending each other because the number of people that are married to the opposite side of the aisle and are getting divorced because it, it borders on the ridiculous uh, for me. It's like, we're humans. We should be able to disagree about stuff and still hold hands, you know, uh, go fishing, uh, whatever, and not get bent out of shape about it. And I think part of the problem is, is, well, this year, especially it's, we're all stuck at home. We don't have anything to do besides watch TV, which means we all go into our own corners and watch our own people. 
or we're on social media and Facebook. So I, do, do you get rid of those things? I think a, a healthy moderation makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, one of the problems with being at home all the time is my, my folks are in South Dakota. I'm in California. I've got two kids. My mom, my dad want to see the two kids. They can't, they can't. So I have to post stuff on Facebook about what's going on so that the grandma can stay connected. So there's still a value there, but recognize that almost all the posts that are talking about someone's new boat or talking about a political thing, it's, it's all sales. In my mind, it's all sales. Everyone's talking their book, ever trying to convince everyone that they're right. They're all trying to create an image for themselves. It's all, you know, it's all fraught with um, interesting mental dynamics that I can't, I'm not qualified to diagnose and I'm involved in it. I get sucked into comedy on Facebook all the time, like three minute clips of comedy. I, I'm sucked in for hours. It happens all the time. Uh, every week I do it for a couple hours. It's just, it's just, it gets me because it's funny. I love it. I try not to look at the politics though. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. Especially about us being stuck home and it's our only connection. And I have to wonder if, um, many of us, I'm not even excluding myself from this. If many of us have, uh, let our uh, people skill tool get a little dull you know, over the last year that we're not you know, having as many face-to-face interactions with others. You know, we've got yeah. numbers at it. And, and there's, a, there's generations, my kids are 13 and 16, and they're not getting that opportunity to, to build that tool to begin with. And that's, I, we'll see 10 years from now how that, how that works out. Like, I have no idea what's going to come of that. That's interesting. But we want to be mindful about the future. People will, uh, you know, everything's going to work out. It's going to be okay. Things have worked out in the past. There have been major lockdowns in the past when people did not have the internet, did not have a way to make money from home and get by. So let's be mindful about the reality. See, I'm already applying these lessons. Well done. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Jonathan, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm all ready. Hit all me. right. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? The gut from an investor's perspective, the gut reaction is to go, oh, you know, I made, you know, it's 10x return on this thing. That's for me, that's not it though. Um, so about 15 years ago, a combination of things occurred. Uh, the first thing is, you know, my wife is um, dedicated to her health. And, and she has always been dedicated to her health. So, uh, and it was a good model for me because about 15 years ago, maybe 14 years ago, I weighed in at 290 pounds and I'm not shaming anyone's weight. Okay. That's not the point. The point was I was not healthy. I couldn't touch my toes without, you know, laying down and rolling into a fetal ball and touching my toes. Right. Uh, I had no stamina. I had no strength. I, 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 you know, self-esteem was in the toilet. Um, really, really, really bad shape. She would every day, never, she wouldn't shame me. She wouldn't judge me. She was, well, she maybe judged me in her mind. I don't know, but she wouldn't say anything negative or say anything about it. Um, and so she created this model. So the first, the first part of this is, is my wife's incredible. She's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. And the purchase, the investment though, that, that came with this is I bought P90X. I know lots of people have done P90X. For me, it was a game changer. And before P90X, business is struggling. Physically, I'm not feeling, you know, I'm, I'm way out of shape. I'm not going to keep up with my kids. Um, you know, money is the problem. Not feeling good about myself. Relationship with the wife is, is, you know, stretched. P90X begins. I don't lose weight right away. Now I can lose a little bit of weight, but then you plateau and all those problems happen. I, f- I feel stronger. I feel better. 
self-esteem improves over a two-year period, I lose about 70 pounds. Nice. And so, so two, 70 pounds over two years, that's how you should lose weight. You shouldn't lose it really quickly. You know, you should lose it slowly over time, change my diet, change my habits. My wife, but you know, meantime, every day she exercises, every day she t- takes care of herself. She keeps up the model. So for me, the combination of my wife and P90X regained my health, business picked up, uh, business is best ever year in 2020, which is, you know, I'm embarrassed by that a little bit. Uh, but, you know, year after year after year since health came back, life was better. And for me that, you know, so investing in my health, most important investment I've ever made. Nice. I like that. I think a lot of our, one of the things we've kind of gotten away from is our kind of our, our body awareness, right? We have this idea that, you know, we are like a homunculus in our brain and our head that is like separated from the healthfulness or, you know, the, the restedness or anything separated from the rest of our body and our, our mood, our, our cognitive ability, uh, all of that is not affected. We think by how we take care of our bodies and, and whatever that means. But in reality, uh, you know, we are affected in our levels of performance cognitively and our level of happiness, satisfaction by how we take care of ourselves physically. And that's great that that worked out for you. We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah. I, so early in my career, I thought it was really important that I look a certain way. And so I, I spent a lot of money on a Mercedes when I was in, when I was 30 and a golf club membership and I don't golf. <laughs> so that was just me being stupid, trying to fit an image, which means, you know, all that money could have, could have been used much more intelligently. Uh, I use debt to do these things. So it just come all kinds of compounded problems. This is all 20 something, 22 years ago. It's just the dumbest things I've ever done is, is invest in an image of myself that was unnecessary, you know, fake it till you make it. You know, I read some of the wrong books and, and I, I went down that hole. Stupid, stupid, but stupid. Yeah. Well, live and learn. You made it out. <laughs> you forgive me. Yeah. You forgive me. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're here now. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I think it's don't chase. Uh, I think it's, you know, the image don't chase great investments. Don't chase, um, you know, there's, we get these things in our heads and, and value goes out the window. The desire to have the thing, regardless of the price makes us chase things we don't need. And it's the chase that I think hurts us. Just be patient. Don't chase. I think that's the best lesson I've learned. Nice. Well, Jonathan, thank you for joining us today. It's a fascinating topic. And I think we need to have a little bit more uh, mindfulness here as we get into the get well into the decade of uh, 2020 and beyond 2021 and beyond. If folks want to learn more about you, if they want to get in touch, if they want to read your blog, all of that good stuff, where can they find you? Best place is mindful.money. You can find all of our social media, all of our, uh, the blog, all the videos, everything's connected to mindful.money. It's not mindfulmoney.com, it's mindful.money. Nice. Well, it's simple, mindful.money. Nice. Well, thank you for joining us once again and uh, discussing this topic with us. I think it's super important and uh, I think, you know, everybody should be meditating. It's it's good for you, makes your life better. Beautiful clothes, Taylor. It's beautiful clothes. Thank you. Thank you. To to everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show. 
If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.